Okay, good morning. As, uh, as Raj has already said, if you're a visitor here this morning, I just want to extend a special warm welcome to you. I hope you've enjoyed it so far this morning. I hope it's been uh, maybe what you expected or maybe what you didn't expect from a church. And uh, I hope you can continue to enjoy it this morning. All right, for those of you who've been around a while, we're going to be continuing our series on Acts this morning. All right, the book of Acts. Um, who's enjoyed it so far? Yeah, yeah. I found it amazing. You know, God has taught me so much personally uh, as we've gone through this book. Um, It's been great to see the faith of the early church, the boldness of individuals, and the real blessing of God which is seen throughout this book. It's just been amazing. And as I said right at the start of this series when I preached the kind of introduction sermon, what makes the book of Acts so amazing is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how that changes everything. Yeah, that's the key thing to continue to remember. It's the Holy Spirit who changes everything. And the encouraging thing about that is the same Holy Spirit that changed everything and led to the explosion in the early church uh, is still available for us today. Yeah, that same Holy Spirit is still available for us today. How faith-filling and amazing is that? It's great. Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking at a passage from Acts 12. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to start turning there now. And uh, I've got a short straw this morning because I've got a really hard subject to speak on. Okay, so I'm going to be speaking on miracles this morning. I know. But um, because it's a really hard subject, I'm going to push the boundaries a little bit and I'm going to split my talk in half. We're going to have two sermons this morning, okay? We're going to have the, uh, the miracle sermon to start with and then we're going to have a sermon on prayers afterwards. How does that sound? All right. Too many sermons to make one big one. Pushing the boundaries this morning. Revolutionizing church, you might call it. Okay. All right, um, it's quite a big passage this morning, so um, so you don't get sick of my voice, I'm going to invite Haley up, who's going to read for us, okay? So why don't we welcome her up? It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intended to persecute them. He had, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by the four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out of the public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers, bound with two chains, and Sentrine stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter wrapped him out of the, followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that, the angel, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where there were peop- where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, 
She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she came, insist- when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand to them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was some commotion among the soldiers as to what had happened, what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. All right, thank you. So before we unpack this passage, uh, I just want to give a little bit of context as to where we are in the book of Acts. All right, last week, Simon preached excellently on the gospel going global. So he spoke about the gospel being made available for all people, Jews and Gentiles. So what that led to, that led to continued growth in the early church, which was, was amazing. All right. and, and the best thing about that continued growth in the early church is the attitude of the new believers. See, what we read is that the new believers got straight into action. If you look at the end of uh, Acts chapter 11, the new believers, instead of just meeting together in a house and praying and maybe growing in their relationship with God uh, in, in little holy huddles, they got straight on and started caring for others. Okay, we read an amazing account of the believers in Antioch gathering food and supplies for people to give away uh, because there was, going to be, um, there was going to be a famine coming to the Roman Empire. Okay, so what we see straight away right in the start of the early church is social action. The church supporting others. That's the very first thing that the new believers did. Absolutely amazing. Okay, anyway, we move on. As expected, the growth of the early church was met with opposition. And King Herod Agrippa had started persecuting anyone who claimed to be a Christian. What we read in verse 2 and 3 is that he had James killed and Peter put in prison. And that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning. Okay. And this chapter talks about a miraculous escape from prison. Jubilee, I want to start with a question. Do you believe in miracles? So what are your thoughts of miracles? You know what, Albert Einstein famously said that there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. That's the attitude I have. <laughs> I tend to take that standpoint and thank God that every day is a miracle, every breath that we take is a miracle. But let's think more specifically this morning about God performing miraculous works. I think that as Christians, it's, it's impossible for us to argue that God can't work in the miraculous. All right? Because if we believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth, and a God who created everything, which I think we do, if we believe in that God, then it's impossible for us to say that if God chooses to move different parts of his creation around, that he couldn't do it. Yeah? God is a miraculous God. God created everything, and he can still perform miracles. And I'm speaking about myself here, but maybe you can empathise with this. Um, I often find it hard to talk about miracles, especially to my non-Christian friends. Like, I'm fine talking about different parts of God's character. I'm even happy to share that he's loving and restoring, and, and I can talk about spiritual gifts and all that sort of stuff. All right? But what I sometimes struggle to talk about is God working in the miraculous. I start to get a bit nervous. I start to think, does anyone else feel like that? Yeah, I start to think that people will think I'm weird because I believe in a God that can perform miracles. People will think we're weird if we believe that God can do things that the world wouldn't be able to explain. 
And just as I was preparing for this sermon this week, um, I felt God tell me off a little bit. God does this all the time. But God told me off a little bit, and he was saying, Gavin, why should you hide the fact that you worship a miraculous God? That's my first challenge for you this morning. Let's not hide the fact that we worship a miraculous God. And if you look at this story, all right, the odds are absolutely stacked against Peter. So he's put into prison, and the way the text is written, it seems to suggest that he was in there for quite a long time. All right, and then the night before his trial, when he was going to find out what his fate was, which let's face it, it was probably going to be him being put to death, all right, he's chained in his cell and fastened by his feet to not one, but two soldiers. So if we look at this from a human point of view, there was no escape for Peter. Yeah? Herod had won. The king, the most powerful man in the area, he had won. End of story. Thankfully, though, Herod might be the king, but there was someone else sitting on a throne who had a bigger plan for Peter. God intervened. And what we see in this passage is an angel of the Lord coming and rescuing Peter. The angel wakes him up, the chains fall off, and Peter's able to walk out of prison. Simple as that. Simple as that. <laughs> Look, let's talk about angels for a second, okay? I think it's really important just to teach a little bit about angels in the Bible. Because I feel like sometimes we can get confused about angels and what they did and what they do. I think society and probably Hollywood has given us a bit of a wrong view of angels, hasn't it? So I just want to, if you've got a quick notebook, all right, uh, get your pen and your notebook ready, because I'm going to give you a quick five-minute mini-sermon on angels, okay? Five quick fire points about angels, all right? Get making notes, all right? First of all, God created angels, all right? They didn't always exist, okay? They're created by God. We read in the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 9, it says, You are the Lord, you alone have made the heaven, the heavens of heaven, with all their host, and the host of heaven worship you. God created angels. We also read about it in the New Testament, in Colossians 1. God created all things, visible and invisible. That includes angels, yes? Yeah? So the first thing to remember is God created angels, yeah? They didn't always exist. Second thing to remember is that angels are not omnipresent, okay? What I mean by that is angels are not everywhere, filling every part of time and space in the same way that God is, okay? God is omnipresent. His presence fills every part of creation. He's always there. He's free from the limitations of space and distance. In the Bible, however, angels are only ever present for a particular purpose at a particular period of time. Yeah, important to know that. Angels are finite creatures. Uh, this account this morning that we read is about an angel coming and rescuing Peter. Yeah, we read different accounts of that in the Bible. All right, flying through this. Third point, angels are extremely powerful the Bible is clear that angels are powerful. In Psalm 103, it says that angels are mighty ones who do his work. And in 2 Peter, it says that they are greater in might and power than humans. So it's important to know that angels are powerful. Okay? But you know what's even more amazing? As powerful as angels are, when Jesus returns, the followers of Christ will be raised even higher than them. It says that in 1 Corinthians. Right, fourth thing, angels are examples to us. All right, angels show us what perfect obedience looks like. They serve God joyfully, um, performing the tasks God set for them. All right, they're also examples for us in terms of worship. In the book of Revelation, it talks about angels continually praising and worshipping God. They find their highest joy in praising God continually. Yeah, Angels are examples for us. 
And a final thing to know about angels, this is probably most important, we shouldn't worship or pray to angels. Okay? Let's clear this up. What Worship of angels is one of the false doctrines which Paul challenges in the book of Colossians. Okay? Also, in the book of Revelation, an angel directly tells John not to worship him. He says, I'm a fellow servant of God like you. Okay? So we shouldn't um, worship angels. We also shouldn't pray to angels. Okay? God's the only one who can answer our prayers. He is the one who's able. Uh, who's able. And Paul warns us against thinking that any other mediator can come between us and God. Okay, so if we decide to pray to angels, what we're saying is that angels are equal to God, which they're not, because God created them, as I said earlier. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, there's five things to know about angels, and that's just a real quick whistle-stop tour of angels. Please discuss this more in your community groups this week. As you gather together in small groups, please discuss this more. Please open up your Bibles. Please study more into this, okay? It's so important that we get right theology, isn't it? Especially on things like angels, okay? It's so important that we have good theology, all right? So please take the time to continue to discuss this this week. Okay, on with the story, all right? God performs a miracle and sends an angel to get Peter out of prison. Now, what I absolutely love about this passage is Peter's reaction Okay. He's got a real reliance on God, which is just incredible. Okay. The night before his trial, the night before he was probably going to be put to death, the guy's sleeping soundly in his cell. Imagine that. Like, I didn't even sleep soundly last night, and I was only getting up to speak this morning. All right, this guy's uh, he's sleeping soundly the night before his trial. You talk about strong faith. Talk about trusting in God. You know, Peter's trusting in God to either get him out of the situation or walk through this difficulty with him. What an attitude to have. What an attitude to have. And, and God intervenes miraculously. And, and do you know what? Miracles happen a lot in the Bible, uh, especially when it's, it comes to rescuing people. Okay? We see it here. We see a miracle where God, uh, in the book of Daniel, God gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the furnace. Yep. We see all kinds of miracles in the Bible. But miracles don't just happen in the Bible. They happen more regularly as well. Okay? As I was studying for this talk, I was reading a commentary by F.F. Uh, F. Bruce on the book of Acts. Okay? As first said, a commentary is just a book which explains a little bit about the Bible. And, uh, in this book, F.F. F. Bruce tells this amazing story of a modern miracle. Okay? The only problem is that this book is written so long ago that this modern miracle is actually in the 1920s. Okay? <laughs> but this is a modern miracle. It's fascinating. All right? He tells a story about a guy called Sundar Singh. There he is. Right, and a bit of background to this guy. He was born and raised as a Hindu in India. All right, but he decides that what he's learning about in his Hindu faith just isn't cutting it for him. Okay? He gets so depressed um, about this that he goes down to his local train track and he says that he's going to commit suicide. Okay? He goes down to his local train track and says, you know what, I'm going to jump in front of the next train. And just before he decides to jump, he prays. He says, if the real God of heaven is there... Can you reveal yourself to me? He prays that simple prayer, and just then he has a vision of Jesus. Good that. He has a vision of Jesus, and uh, this guy gives his whole life over to preaching the gospel. He gets rejected by his family, but still travels around India and the surrounding area, preaching the good news about Jesus. If you've got time this week, just do a bit of study on this guy. Have a Google of him. He's got an amazing life. All right. But let me tell you this miraculous story. Okay, I'm going to read it directly from the book. It says, it says, by order of the chief lama of a certain Tibetan community, he was thrown into a dry well, the lid of which was securely locked. He was left there to die like many others before him. 
whose bones and rotting flesh lay at the bottom of the well. On the third night, when he'd been crying out to God in prayer, he heard someone unlocking the lid of the well and removing it. And then a voice spoke, telling him to take hold of the rope that was being lowered into the well. He did so, and was glad to find a loop at the bottom of the rope in which he could place his foot, for his arm had been injured before he was thrown down in the well. He was then drawn up, the lid was replaced and locked, but when he looked around to thank his rescuer, he could find no trace of him. When morning came, absolutely love this bit by the way, when morning came, he returned to the city where he'd been arrested and resumed preaching. <laughs> News was brought to the Lama that the man who'd been thrown into the execution well for preaching had been liberated and was preaching again. Sunder Singh was brought before him and questioned, and he told the story of his release. The Lama declared that someone must have got hold of the key and let him out. But when a search was made for the key, it was found still attached to the Lama's very own girdle. <laughs> Amazing story of a faithful and miraculous God. Wow. And let me just mention one more thing about miracles. Um, any miracle which God performs should always point back to his kingdom. All right, that's important, okay? The purpose of all of God's miracles isn't simply to make us believe in him, although it will help with that. The purpose of God's miracles are to lead us to a place of awe and wonder. Point back to his kingdom. Let me elaborate using a quote by Tim Keller. He says, you never see Jesus say something like, look at that tree over there, watch me make it burst into flames. Instead, he used miracles and miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be a restoration of the natural order. Yeah? You see, God didn't originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. And one day we'll be in a place when that's still the case. We'll be face to face with God with no more sickness or disease or hunger. But Jesus came to redeem the world. He came to fix the broken world, and his miracles were a foretaste of that, pointing back to God's kingdom. If you bear that in mind when thinking about miracles, it can really help you to grasp that idea. Yeah, miracles should always point back to God's kingdom. Okay, before I finish talking about miracles, I just want to challenge you, really. Okay, are we people who expect God to work in the miraculous? Do we expect things like healings? You know, when we come into prayer meetings, do we expect God to do things that we can never imagine? Is that our attitude? Do you know what? I remember when I was in King's Church in Darlington, we had this sign over the door of our main meeting hall. It said, it said expect a miracle. Phil had, had bought it from a garden centre. It was meant to be about uh, the garden, but he put it on the wall. He said, expect a miracle. And <laughs> I feel like that's the attitude that we need to have as a church. When we come into any church setting, remember church isn't just Sunday mornings, okay? We need to expect miracles. We need to expect God to blow our minds and do amazing things. We need to expect God to do amazing things. You know what? Situations that you're facing, difficulties, health issues, marriage or work, whatever it is, we need to have trust and faith in God to intervene and work in ways that we don't expect. To work in ways that we can't explain. Why? Because we believe in a miraculous God. Maybe that can be your challenge from this morning, to raise your expectations about the God that we serve. I think just even that attitude switch to expecting God to work in the miraculous can really change our church. 
Jubilee, that's our first challenge. Please can we be people who expect miracles? It's scary. It's outside of our comfort zones, but do you know what? It'll change our church. Okay, I think I've just about survived talking about miracles, haven't I? All right. Anything that you don't agree with, come and find me at the end, and I'll point you towards Simon and Raj and Sarush, okay? <laughs> All right, on to the second part of this morning, my favourite subject in the world to talk about prayer, okay? It's impossible to look at this passage without talking about prayer. All right, if we look at verse 5 in this chapter, we see the most important verse in the whole passage. It says, that, it says while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. They prayed very earnestly for him. I love how the message puts it. The message says the church prayed most strenuously for him. Strenuously. When was the last time you prayed strenuously? Prayed so much that it hurt. You know, while Peter was in prison, the church didn't get together to hatch a plan to get him out. They didn't get a plan to distract the guards or to dig him out, Shawshank Redemption style. No, they did something even more important than that. They got together and they prayed. That was the most beneficial thing they could do. They didn't just pray, though. They prayed most strenuously. They prayed most earnestly. They believed in what they were praying. They were confident in what they were praying. They were convinced that God would answer their prayers. Does God answer prayers? You bet he does. You absolutely bet he does. Do you know what I read? I just want to teach you a little bit about prayer. I read a really helpful chapter on prayer in a book by John Ortberg, okay? And what he's saying in his chapter is that in the book of Revelation, in chapter 8, all right, it describes a scene where heaven falls completely silent while the prayers from earth go up to God. It's right there in, Re- in Revelation 8, okay? The endless song of the angels in heaven stops, okay? The party in heaven, it stops and falls silent. Why? Because someone prays. Heaven is actually interrupted by our prayers. Jubilee, our prayers are heard. God hears our prayers. Read it, Revelation chapter 8. God hears our prayers. Our prayers interrupt heaven. Is that encouraging? (laughs) Just think about that for a second. It blows my mind. Every single prayer that you ever pray, the desperation, the agony, the celebration, the thankfulness, all of them are heard. All of them prayers are heard. You know what? You might not have got your answer there and then, but that prayer is heard. Wow. Just get your head around that. (laughs) You know what? There's an amazing story in the Bible, and it's actually one of the first recorded times of extended prayer in the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis, okay? And it's Abraham coming before God and pleading with God for the town of Sodom, which God's going to destroy. All right? And the amazing thing about this story is the real care that Abraham gives when he's talking to God and pleading with him. Okay, Abraham clearly feels like he's talking to someone whose course of action can be changed by what he's saying. Okay, read about it in Genesis. Abraham starts, he says, God, will you indeed wipe away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive the 50 who are in it? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? And God says, okay. Okay, I'll spare the city for the sake of 50 righteous people. So Abraham continues. He's feeling confident. Could I negotiate you down to 45? What if there are 45 righteous people? And God agrees. Abraham continues to whittle the numbers down. (laughs) 40, 30, 20. Finally, he asks God one more time. He says, God, what if there are only 10 righteous people? Will you spare the city? God says yes. He spares Lot and his family. 
What's the point of that story in the Bible? Why is it there? I think it's there to tell us that prayer changes things. Prayer really works. Look, if we want to be people who see the world change, then we need to be people who pray for it. Yeah? We need to be people who pray for it. You know, Walter Wink, who's an American Bible teacher, says it perfectly. He says that history belongs to the intercessors, the people who pray. Look, if we want to change the future, we better start believing and praying it into being. Be people who passionately pray. Like, we want to see the world change, don't we? Like, we want to see broken people made whole, don't we? We want to see hope for the hopeless. We want to see families restored in this nation, don't we? But how do we do it? We pray. That needs to be our first thought. That needs to be our default setting to pray in the same way that the early church prayed. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean that we're passive. It doesn't mean that we don't get our hands dirty. Do you believe if you're praying properly, then you're getting your hands dirty? Your proper prayer is getting your hands dirty. Do you know, pray deeply into situations in the same way that the early church prayed for Peter's release. All right. And it goes back to attitude again, okay? If our attitude on prayer changes in the same way as our attitude on miracles, okay? If our attitude on prayer changes, then our church changes. If our attitude on prayer changes, then our church changes. If our faith for prayer changes, then our church changes. <laughs> I was chatting to, uh, to Barbara on Life Plus this week, all right? And uh, Barbara's written this amazing book of prayers and psalms, all right? And... Uh, I asked her how she wrote it. Barbara, how did you write this book? And she told me that she prayed for people. All right, people she, you know, she, might, she might not have known the situation. She prayed for people, and God gave her the words to put down to encourage those people. Guys, that is real prayer. That's real prayer. I don't know the whole situation, but I trust that God's going to give me the words to say. I trust that God's going to give me the encouragement to say. Do you believe that's the type of prayer life we need to have? We don't have to have all the answers to all the situations we find ourselves in. Look, God can and will answer prayers and situations, sometimes in creative ways. We believe in a creative God. <laughs> Do you know what? What about unanswered prayers? What if we don't get an answer to our situation? Then we keep praying. God will reveal his will to us and we can find real comfort from that. When I was first a Christian, we used to have these wristbands, all right? And they were like, what would Jesus do bands, okay? But on them they said, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. Does anyone remember him? Anyone still have one? I'd love to see one. Yeah, I knew you would, Sarah. I'd love to see one of those things. All right, pray until something happens. That needs to be our attitude to prayer. Pray until something happens. Earnestly pray, strenuously pray. All right, let me give you another quick point on prayer, okay? It's actually okay to ask God for things, you know? It's actually okay to ask God for things. It's actually okay to ask God about our situations, our personal situations. You know, some people would say it's selfish to ask God to break through in your own situations or to bless you because if we do that, then we're putting our happiness above God. Let me just correct that, Okay. John Piper writes about prayer, makes it really simple. Check out this quote. He says, What we've learned from the Bible is that God's interest is to magnify the fullness of his glory by spilling over in mercy to us. Therefore, the pursuit of our interest and our happiness is never above God's, but always in God's. 
the most precious truth in the Bible is that God's greatest interest is to glorify the wealth of his grace by making sinners happy in him. In him. Look, it's okay to ask God uh, to pray into your situations, to ask God to bless your situations as long as we find our happiness in him and not the thing we're asking for. Yeah? Do you see that? We need to pursue our happiness in God above all else. But the more that we pray and understand God, the more that will happen. Okay? See, we need to focus on God because if we only focus on the thing that we're praying for, or if we only focus on the situation that we're in, or the difficulty that we've got, then we'll be left with nothing if that situation doesn't improve or that prayer is not answered. Yeah? If we put our focus on God then he's the one who sustains us when everything else fails. Yeah? That is how you pray. You put God above everything. (laughs) I'm going to share a a bit of a personal testimony, and I might get emotional, all right? But if a band could come up, then you can take over from me crying, maybe. Okay? I want to give you a personal testimony about God answering prayer. This is really recent, okay? And I just want to back up that point that we believe in a God who answers prayers, and we can ask God for things, Okay? Um, towards the back end of last year, uh, to kind of Christmas time, we started to explore the idea of, of me working for Jubilee, okay, for me uh, moving into employment with Jubilee. And uh, we prayed as an eldership team, we prayed as, as, as a couple, and we, we chatted about it as elders and wives, and we all discussed it. We discussed it with Jeremy, and we all felt that it was something that was from God. Okay, we all thought, you know, this is something that's from God. We need to go ahead and do this, all right? The only problem I had was that the church was going to employ me part-time, okay? I needed to find a part-time job, all right? My job at 13 was coming to an end. My contract was ending. I was going to be made redundant, and I needed to find a part-time job to go alongside my church job, okay? I needed to find a job specifically for two days a week, two weekdays a week, okay? It seemed pretty impossible, all right? I was trusting in God, but I thought, God, if you really want me to work for this church, then you need to just break through and bless me with an unexpected two-day-a-week job, all right? And do you know what? I was fully prepared to do any sort of job, but I thought, do you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, God, can you give me a job which I'm going to enjoy, a job which I'm going to still be able to um, serve you well in, a God where I'm still going to be able to impact lives in, all right? Check this out, okay? December last year, I was, uh, I was uh, doing a bit of job search, and I saw a job advertised, okay? Two days a week, working in a local school as a trained careers advisor. I'm a trained careers advisor, and I needed a job two days a week. <laughs> what? <laughs> this was unexpected. You, know you don't get careers advisor's jobs two days a week. You don't get school jobs two days a week normally. This was unexpected. Do you know what? I've got a young kids, and my wife works in a school. The job's term time only. My wife works term time only. Do you know what? This was God answering the prayer in the most amazing way possible. This was unexpected. Do you know what? I still didn't have the job. I went to my interview and I sat down and a lady sat opposite me. She had the most experience ever. She'd worked as a careers advisor in a school for over 20 years. And there was me. I'm barely even 20 years old myself. (laughs) Do you know what? I sat in that interview and there was only one job. There was two of us. Uh, And it was the weirdest interview ever. It was a a two-way interview where we sat together for the first part discussing it. Okay? The other lady, she spoke. I couldn't get a word in. She spoke about education frameworks. She spoke about school benchmarks for careers advice in secondary schools. I had no idea what she was talking about. And you know what I prayed? I said, God, this was the job that you were going to give me. This was all so perfect, and, and now I've not got it. 
So, uh, so, so the second part of the interview was a one to one, and I sat in this, and and, and you know, I, I, I was praying the whole time. I was like, God, I don't get this. This was a job that you were going to bless me with. I don't get this, and I just felt like God said, you know what? Just keep going. And uh, I, I don't know why, but I thought I'd lost this job, so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to give up, and uh, I started talking about God in the interview. I sit down with, uh, with, my, with my now boss and, and the chair of trustees, and I sit down and I start talking about God. I said, you know what, the reason I really, really want this job is because I'm going to be working for a church part-time, and I believe that God passionately cares about young people. What better way to back up my church job than working in a place where I can impact young lives? I thought, am I going to get escorted out of the building here? I said, you know what, I, 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 I'm part of a local church and we're in the centre of Middlesbrough. We work uh, in various different ways and we're a church that impacts lives and I see this job as being part of that. I see this job as being part of the wider church picture. And, and, and I went away and uh, I rang Haley in the car on the hands free. I said, Haley, I've not got it, but at least I've told them about Jesus, eh? <laughs> All right, God answers prayers. I get back home, all right, I go into the office, um, I have a bit of, uh, of Christmas lunch with, with Val and Lynn and Simon. Do you remember that, Val? We had some uh, Christmas and stuff, all right? I'm sitting there, and uh, I get a phone call on my phone, I go out, and I'm fully expecting them to say, Gavin, you've not got the job. We're really sorry. You're a nice lad and all, but you've not got the job. Okay, I get out, my phone rings, I, I answer it, and she says, Gavin, we've only got, um, we only had one position here. Okay, we only had one position, but... Debs, the other lady, had all the experience. She gave all the right answers. She was exactly what we were looking for, but there was something about you that we couldn't shake. There's something about you we couldn't shake. And we've gone away, and we're sorry it's taken so long to ring you, but we've gone away to the board, and we've asked them to extend the, uh, the role and offer it to both of you. And she says, we couldn't argue with a man of God, could we? She says... <laughs> Couldn't argue with man of God. Jubilee, God answers prayers. No, that, that, I shouldn't have that job. I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be working that job, but God answers prayers. He works miracles, and I work for the church three days a week and work for um, a local college for two days a week. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you this morning. God answers prayers. Let me just challenge you one more time, all right? Can we be a church who pray strenuously like the early church did? Can we be a church who pray for breakthrough in, uh, in a way that the early church did? Like, can we be serious about prayer? If you're serious about prayer, then you need to start praying. Do you know what? Our monthly prayer meetings need to be as packed out as this Sunday morning. If we're people who are passionate about seeing breakthrough, we need to be people who pray. Let me challenge you. Prayer at Linthorpe, all right? Be there and be ready to pray. Be there and be ready to pray. Not only that, though, all right? Pray in your community groups. Pray when you get together with your friends. Pray. Be a church who prays. If we want to see breakthrough, we need to change our attitude and pray and pray strenuously. You know, we've got all sorts of prayer meetings in the church. We've got our monthly church together prayer meeting. We've got intercessors prayer meetings. We've even got a 7 a.m. prayer meeting. That still happens Wednesday mornings. Okay? Get along and start praying. Start praying. <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we stand and we'll worship? I'd, I'd love to pray for us and then we'll worship. Why don't we stand?
Yeah, Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you are a God who answers prayers, Lord. Lord, not only are you a God that answers prayers, but you're a God who works in the miraculous. Lord, I thank you that where people, as people can come to you and present our requests to you, God, we can pour our hearts to you in prayer, knowing that you hear our prayers. Lord, I want to pray this morning, Lord, for us as a church, would you take us into a new season of prayer, God? Lord, would this be a defining moment, Lord, where you change our hearts and our attitudes towards prayer? Would we be a church who pray earnestly and strenuously to you? And Lord, I want to pray for anyone this morning, Lord, who's maybe come along with a situation, a difficult situation or a difficult area of their life, God. I pray, would you give them a new faith to pray earnestly into that? Lord, I pray, would you allow us to be a church who expect miracles, God? A church who uh, are comfortable being outside of our comfort zone. <laughs> a church uh, are comfortable asking you for things which we don't expect. Lord, we thank you so much that you are creative and miraculous, God. And Lord, I thank you that you hear our prayers. What a comfort. You hear our individual prayers. You hear our corporate prayers, Lord. What a comfort. Yeah, we love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for all that you do and continue to do in our lives. Amen.